And as we'll see in this psalm today, uh, we'll see that really the only way to truly be satisfied, to experience the satisfied life, we have to fear God. That's the only way that we'll experience any sort of satisfaction in life, or kind of the way we're going to talk about it today, uh, to live the good life, we must fear God. Um, before we read this psalm and, uh, and get into it more, I think we should pray. Um, so let's do that. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that it doesn't change because you don't change, because you are good and you are faithful and it is something that we can anchor our lives to and hold on to. And I pray that as we look at this psalm this morning, um, that you will be made great in our eyes as you teach us, that you will be magnified, Lord, that uh, me and all the rest of us will, will fade away in the light of your greatness, of your glory, uh, of your power. Um, we're so thankful that you do allow us to, to hear from you, to, to see you, Lord, um, and, and that you do teach us. I pray that I'll speak clearly, but more than that, we ask that your Spirit would teach each one of us, teach me, Lord, um, from this psalm, from your beautiful, beautiful word. Um, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, this psalm has quite a lot of background that's really, really uh, pertinent and important to understand where David, who is the writer of this psalm, is writing it from. Uh, so I'll just go through a little bit of that, and uh, the passage that gives all that background and context is 1 Samuel 21, if you want to read that at some point, but I'm just going to uh, kind of buzz through it. I'm not actually going to read it. I'm going to kind of summarize it a little bit, uh, just for sake of time. Um, so David had been having troubles with Saul. Uh, that's really putting it lightly. Major troubles with Saul, who was the king of Israel at this time, uh, and he'd actually fled from Saul. So he left there and went to um, Gath, which was where Abimelech was found. In all of your Bibles, you probably, uh, yep, Abimelech is there in my Bible and probably isn't a lot of yours in that um, heading there. Uh, so he goes to Gath, and there's a couple problems with that. First off, there were songs sung of David about Saul has killed, basically Saul has killed a lot of Philistines, and David has killed a whole lot more. And so Gath is a city of the Philistines, right? So that's I'm not sure exactly why he went there, but there was probably some dire reason that he did. Um, and then kind of to add insult to injury, he was dragging Goliath's sword along with him. Um, and if you didn't know, Goliath was also from Gath and was uh, you know, kind of a prize warrior type of deal. And, uh, and so he was dragging this sword of the guy he killed who came from Gath. Anyway, you can get the picture. It was a, a sticky situation. And Abimelech was the king, the king in Gath. Um, and, and so David apparently comes before Abimelech, right? And, um, and he realizes he's, he, he's in a real fix. Like, they're not, they're not excited about this. And so he plays the madman. If he was in today, he would be uh, eligible as an A-list actor, I bet. Um, he plays the madman. And, he, uh, and so Abimelech's like, why in the world did you bring this madman before me, get him out of here. And so David, David escapes that way, and this psalm is really David looking back on this time. He's reflecting on it and also teaching from it. Um, in this psalm, it, it kind of can be split into two sections. Um, the first section, verses 1 through 10-ish, 
uh, is really him reflecting and uh, giving a testimony of God's great deliverance. And then the second half, verses 11 through 22, is really more of a sermon uh, teaching as David is teaching on and addressing the fear of the Lord from a kind of unique perspective. Uh, So with that in mind, let's read Psalm 34 as we begin. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So as we begin uh, this morning... David starts off by talking about why we fear God, giving kind of a background on why it even matters. But before we jump in, that kind of, that starts in verse 12. Uh, But before we go there, verse 11 kind of gives us a helpful way for us to jump in and know know how to jump into this psalm. It says, come, O children, listen to me. This is, which is a classical uh, wisdom literature um, speech. So you'd see that in Proverbs and other places, Ecclesiastes, things like that. Um, And so he's saying, come as children. I think that can be helpful for us. He might have been speaking to children. We don't exactly know. But it's helpful to come as someone who realizes they're dependent. This psalm really doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you realize that. You're dependent. You're in need. You're not completely self-sufficient. So that's that's a helpful thing, I think, as we approach this psalm to remember that. Um, And then then obviously he's teaching the fear of the Lord. That's pretty important, uh, but, but let's remember that that's what he's teaching. That's what the, the meat of all of this is talking about. That's what it's pointing to. So David starts off by talking about why we fear God. What's the motivation behind it? And he does this in an interesting way. He does it by asking a question to his readers. Who loves life? The first phrase in verse 12 uh, says... If I get there, what man is there who desires life? And it's really just pointing to the simple fact that to some capacity, all human beings desire life. Um, 
the extent to which people seek to protect themselves from the possibility of death or death itself, uh, although that's not a bad thing at all, does illustrate just how much we really value life. Um, and the next part of the verse just continues building on this, and it says, loves many days. Uh, and it, it builds on this universal desire that we all uh, seek after life. Um, but it reminds us that it's not just a pure existence that we're, that we're following after. We seek after the enjoyment of life. Uh, the Hebrew word here that's used for love, um, which I'm not even going to try and pronounce, maybe someday I can, uh, has the meaning of deep loving and enjoyment. And here it indicates that the days aren't just numerous, that you don't just live a really long time, but they're also good. And the last phrase of the verse, that you may see good, means that your life may be prosperous and blessed. So essentially the question is, who wants to live a life that is long, fulfilling, and filled with good? And I think for all of us, we'd say everyone, right? All of us would say, yes, we want to live this life. And, and so David is saying, okay, that's the life of the one who fears God. Um, to experience the good life, we have to fear God. But how do we do that? How do we fear God? I think the fear of God is, is often kind of a nebulous idea uh, in our minds, at least in my mind. Um, it's often described you know, as, as reverence towards God, awe of God, fear and trembling before God, and maybe even respect. Um, and all of these are true. John Piper has a quote. It says, fearing God means that he is so awesome that you would not dare to run away from him, but only to him. Uh, and all of this is true and very, very vitally important, and it's, it's describing a hard attitude, right, of, of the fear of God. But how does this change the way that I live? How does that make a practical difference in my life? Where does that go? You know, how does it, how does it affect me when I go to work and I'm stressed out and I'm behind schedule? Or, or dealing with that guy who's going 35 and a 50 and I'm late? Um, how is the fear of God practiced when I'm dealing with deeply broken relationships or maybe just working through another ordinary day with all the normal activities of life? This is what's addressed and talked about in verses 13 and 14. And although it's not exhaustive, it covers really large categories and gives us some very practical instruction on how we can fear God and how that changes the way that we live. So uh, if you want to go to verse 13... Uh, that's where we start, and it, it starts off and it says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Uh, this seems kind of like an odd place to begin, at least the first couple times I read this psalm, I was like, why, why are we starting with the tongue? Um, however, if you go through scripture, honestly, <laughs> the tongue is talked about in a very serious manner. It's a significant issue. It's talked about quite a lot. Um, one of the verses we're all familiar with is James 3.12. It says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Uh, in the direct context of this verse, it has some really serious words, uh, which would be good for us to read, but we won't this morning. Um, and it talks about the great evil and destruction that can come from the tongue, um, and how it can cause uh, great heartache with others. And also it talks about how it's really a bit of a tell of where your heart is, kind of a thermometer of your heart, if you want to say it that way. Um, and here in verse 12 of, of James, it builds on this concept by making the point that it really isn't possible for the tongue to both bless and curse. You know, that, 
That is, for the genuine believer, there shouldn't be the regular use of unwholesome and destructive speech. Uh, this doesn't mean that if you say something that's mean or destructive towards another person or say a word that's just not wholesome, that then you aren't a believer. But it's saying, look at your life and, uh, and see what is really making up the majority of what you're talking about. What, is, what makes up uh, your speech life, I guess you could say. Um, and, and that can be a really important place for us to understand where our hearts are and run back to Christ in that, in that place. This is often an area, I think, where there isn't very much consistency. Uh, there's a distinct lack. Um, I, you know, I speak this way at work, but at church I'm going to clean it up. Or it's okay to exaggerate and tell a little white lie, but I won't directly lie or tell a, a really bad lie, I guess, that might hurt someone. Um, and and I, can, I tend to do that as well. I, I'm a bit of a chameleon. I'm not identifying as a lizard, but I'm, uh, I am saying that I, I change in the situation, right? So uh, if, if I'm with these people, I'll talk this way or talk this way about this person or if I'm with that person. And, and you get the picture, right? We can kind of do that, but that's the wrong motivation. That's maybe me looking at other people and seeking to, to please them or just to please myself. We're not really... The call here isn't, if, is for us to not focus on ourselves, but instead focus on pleasing our great God. So to put this together, I guess, part of the outflow of the heart is that truly fearing God will be to keep our mouths from sin and to avoid the fear and shame that come from evil and deceitful speech and experience the joy of honest, good speech. Uh, there's, there's a sort of cleanness when we're honest, Right? and we're truthful, and there's a sort of heavy guilt and shame when we're not honest and truthful with others. Um, and that's part of, part of the good life, right, that, that we're going to get to more, but that's part of the truly blessed life is when we can live with that sort of honesty, um, not because we're so great, but because we're following Christ and go, running after our good God. And it's not just speaking of the evil of our tongues, but also speaking about evil in general. Um, and it says in verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. Uh, the temptation for sin and evil is, is all around us, right? It's, it's constant. We always have it uh, around us. And it's important and it's actually necessary for the believer to turn away from it. Um, it says in Proverbs 8:13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. God hates evil, and so those who fear him will also hate evil uh, and turn away from it. In a sense, we can say part of the practical outflow of fearing God is our desires being lined up with his desires, our what we want being lined up with what God wants because we're looking past ourselves and we're looking to God. But the instruction isn't just to turn away from evil, uh, but also to turn from evil to good. Uh, one second, let me catch myself. Uh, to live, I think I mixed my notes up. One second. There we go. Got it. <laughs> uh, and experience the blessings of God. We must not only avoid evil, but also do good, as I just said. Uh, there's a well-known story in Scripture, and it's really a beautiful illustration of this, and it's found in Exodus, in the first chapter of Exodus. And you, you guys probably know it, but I'll just 
kind of summarize it really quick. Pharaoh, in the beginning of Exodus, he was getting nervous about the strength of the Israelites, right? And uh, they were growing in numbers really fast. And uh, anyway, they were, they were really becoming strong as God was, God was just blessing them. And so he told the Hebrew midwives to kill all the male children that they delivered. And what did the midwives do? You guys remember? Did they kill them? No, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, it, uh, it said they turned... It said... Where, where did I have this? Anyway, they didn't kill the babies, right? They turned from evil and did good. But why did they do this? You know, what, why did they risk so much, probably even their own lives, to save these children? Uh, it says in Exodus 1.17, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And what happened to them? Uh, the midwives were actually blessed by God. They experienced a part of this blessed life that we're talking about, and God gave them families. Uh, it says, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. They were faced with evil as each one of us is, but chose to do what was right and good. They received from God. So when we sin, repent. When we are tempted, we, we need to turn to a great God. When doing evil is the easy option, we turn to God who is greater. Lastly, the one who fears God will seek to preserve peace. Uh, it says, seek peace and pursue it there at the end of verse 14. And it's not just an apathetic seeking of peace. Uh, you know, as a kid, when you'd say sorry, or at least for myself when I'd say sorry a lot of times, it was like, I want to get my parents off my back, and so I'll just I'll say the words as fast as possible, but really all I want to do was punch my sibling in the face. And... Uh, and that's really what it's saying It not going on here. That's not how we're supposed to seek peace. Uh, we're supposed to run after peace, so to speak. We're supposed to pursue it. And this peacefulness really is a mark of the Christian, of a Christian, a characteristic of a follower of Jesus. Um, and the rest of scriptures really attest to this. It says in Matthew 5, 9, where Jesus, Jesus says, actually, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Or in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 14, 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. However, however, to truly chase after peace, to run after it with all we have, it requires something of us. It requires that we give up our goals sometimes, our desires, really that we have to humble ourselves um, as, as a kid, I had a very strong sense of internal justice, um, which isn't all bad uh, if it's submitted to Christ. However, it ended up uh, manifesting itself in some negative ways. And one of these ways, which happened on several occasions, and I can't remember exactly how old I was, probably 10 or 11, or maybe it was a couple years, I don't know, uh, was when another kid would, would be making fun of me or making fun of someone else, and, uh, you know, something like that was happening. I would take justice into my own hands, uh, literally, and uh, I'd try to show them they were wrong by beating them in a fight. Um, and this, this often went poorly. Uh, not much thought went into this. As I was a small kid, uh, and, and I wouldn't succeed, so I'd have to, you know, call in reinforcements, my brother, my buddy. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't work. It really destroyed peace. I was trying to bring some sort of wholeness and all I did was create more destruction. 
And the point of this is, I was fighting for myself. I was fighting for my own sense of personal justice, uh, really kind of the opposite of pursuing peace. And I think in some ways we can do this in much more civilized, thankfully, ways, uh, but, but still we can do this in the church where we're really seeking after what we want, and, and maybe we'll lay aside one thing begrudgingly, but we're not really pursuing it. We're not really running after it. Uh, we're called to strive earnestly to make peace with fellow believers and those around us. And where does this peace come from? Uh, it comes from Christ himself, the Prince of Peace, the one who gives us peace. So run to Christ, right? When we have issues with others, when we have situations that really are beyond us, uh, that we can't bring peace to, just like I couldn't as a 10-year-old uh, fighting, with, fighting with a neighbor kid. Um, but we can bring peace because of Christ. So we've kind of seen, you know, why we fear God, uh, because it's the only place the good life is found, and how to fear God in some really practical ways in Psalm 34. But now in the remaining verses, the Holy Spirit, through David, describes the life of fearing God, uh, this good life, as we're calling it. And I clicked myself ahead, so I'm already there. Uh, I think, however, before we look more in depth at these verses, it'd be helpful for us to understand what is often thought of as the desirable life. Um, think of this for, you know, for yourself, but for some it might be uh, traveling, you know, exploring new cultures and, and adventuring in new places. For others, it might be a successful career. Um, maybe it's having the perfect family. Uh, think about you know, that for yourself. Uh, what do you find seeking to bring value and worth to your life apart from God. Um, I'll, I'd remind you that all of these things fall short. Uh, we've been going through Ecclesiastes, well, we're done with it now, but we have been going through Ecclesiastes, and, and Solomon, as we, we saw multiple times, had everything. Everything he wanted, he'd get it. So if you wanted a new truck, you had a new truck. If you wanted uh, more wives, in his case, he had more wives. If, if he wanted a bigger house, he had a bigger house, right? And, and where did that lead him? Was he the happiest guy on earth? He was, he was miserable, right? They're, they were empty. There was nothing there. Um, so these things in and of themselves, just like that relationship for me or for Solomon, everything he had, they are empty without God. Uh, and it is really God himself and this psalm continues to tell us and explain to that to us in more detail that is the one who satisfies. So uh, we're moving on to verse 15, if you want to track it in your Bibles. Um, the psalmist lines out the divine blessings of the righteous, or you know, those that fear God, and contrasts those with how God deals with the wicked or the evil person. The blessing uh, is that God's eyes, in verse 15, that God's eyes are on the righteous and he hears them. It says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. Uh, there is a sense in which your motiv the motivation here could be roughly described as, you know, if your boss is watching you, and you're really making sure you do your job just right, or maybe if your mom was in the other room within earshot, and, uh, and you don't, uh, you know, fight with your sibling, or, or you do your schoolwork, or whatever like that. And, and you're, you're careful to do what you're supposed to, right? And, and it's true that God is present. He sees everything in our lives. And that's a healthy level of responsibility. Um, but that's not really the major emphasis here in this passage. Instead, um, 
The phrase has the meaning of God looking over his chosen people with care. And here's their cry or prayer, as it says in the parallel passage in 1 Peter 3. Um, So God is closely watching over us and listening to us to hear our cries. He is with us and listens to us. That's amazing. However, the striking contrast is that God's face is turned in rejection to those who do evil. He is not with them, and their end is destruction. It says that in verse 16, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. But God does, doesn't just hear us, right? He, he doesn't just hear us like a, a microphone would. Um, it says in verse 17, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. And this, this echoes back to many passages of Scripture, but one is when the Israelites were in Egypt, right? And they were crying out under uh, the bondage and slavery that they were in. And God heard them, and, and he responded. He delivered them. Uh, this is true even as we cry out when we're tempted to sin. Uh, I think we, we sometimes limit this just to issues in life, problems. But when we're tempted to sin, we can cry out to God. And he, has, he can free us from that sin. He has power over that sin. Um, or if you're going through a difficulty, a dark time, God is faithful to rec- rescue us. Uh, he also cares for the brokenhearted. The, the next verse continues describing this blessed life for those that fear God and states that God is near to the brokenhearted. It says, many are the afflictions of the... Sorry, I'm in the wrong verse. Let me catch up. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Literally, the word here for brokenhearted uh, means as if broken by a hammer. Sorry, guys, I'm, I'm skipping around. Verse 18, let me read verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. There we go. Uh, the word here for brokenhearted means that as something or along the lines of that were shattered, that were broken. It, it conveys the idea in the Hebrew of ore being smashed, right? And it's broken into pieces to then be molded into something. Uh, so it's talking about a shattered person, a broken person. And this verse is promising those who, that those who fear God, the God-fearing person who is in great heartache, right, in the deepest valleys of life, that they have a Savior who is with them and who is ready to save Uh, But it's not just those who are going through deep waters, right? Those who are going through hard trials. This verse applies to all people, no matter what your life circumstances may be. Uh, We all should be realizing our own need and brokenness and have a repentant heart. And this is what the second half of the verse emphasizes. He saves the crushed in spirit, or in some versions it says contrite or repentant uh, in spirit. Um, As we understand our own great guilt and submit to ourselves, we can experience the blessings of God. And it is here that we experience the saving grace of God in a beautiful way through our brokenness. The good life is also not one where our troubles just vanish and disappear, right? It's not just the easy life. In fact, this text reminds us that the trials and troubles of the righteous are many, That's actually something of a definitional statement in the New Testament when you look there, that the righteous will suffer. Um, 
And so what's the difference uh, we should think about? What the difference is between those who fear God and those who don't? Uh, since everyone experiences trials, and maybe in some senses the righteous are promised more suffering in this life, um, what's the difference? Uh, and the key difference here is that God is their deliverer. He will not take us through something that is greater than we are able to bear, and he's faithful to bring us out. And one day, and this is exciting, we have the confident and assured hope that all our suffering will end. God keeps his people whole. Verse 20 says, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This was probably in reference to the fact that David hadn't had any bones broken before Abimelech, uh, partly in reference to that, uh, but it also really seems to have a spiritual application that the soul of the believer will be kept safe. Uh, obviously, you know, many Christians have gone through severe persecution and their bodies have been broken. Uh, so it's, that's not really, again, what it's primarily talking about. And, and that's because this isn't the most important thing. That's what, not what matters the very most. Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And when we do fear God, the one with that who, who has control over our destiny, the destiny of our very souls, we are safe. We are held in complete security. But again, it's not so for the wicked. It says affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Finally, we come to the last verse in this psalm. It says, The Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Those are the servants of God who have their lives literally rescued for this life and for eternity. And there is no longer anything that can be brought against those who take shelter in this God, in our God. The guilt under sin is no, no longer has any power to condemn the righteous because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Romans 8.1 8, reminds us. This is the true center and core of the good life in Christ, that through Christ's death and life we may be made right with God through his power and through his power live a, live a transformed life without the burden and fear of being condemned. So, for those who fear God, he is near to them. He watches over them. He hears their prayers. He delivers them. He saves them from trials. He redeems them. There is no condemnation. As we humble ourselves and run for to Christ for strength and for salvation, we are able to actually speak and communicate in ways that build up others and glorify Christ. We can actually turn from sin and wrong and actually be part of meaningful good works in Christ because they're in Christ and have peace with Christ uh, that rules our hearts and minds because, and because of this, we can be peacemakers. And in all of this experience, the blessings of the truly good life, sorry, let me reread that. And in all this experience, the blessings of the truly good life, the life in Christ. Those who are 
who humble themselves and fear God will truly live. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that it is what teaches us, that it is what directs our lives and our hearts. I pray that we would hear it, Lord, this morning, that I would hear it, and that we would be changed, that, that we would not hear my words, Lord, and my falterings, but we would hear you and your great strength and the hope that we can have in you. Uh, and we're so, we're so thankful, Lord, for, for this psalm and for the promise, promises it gives us um, of the life of, for the one who fears you. So we pray all this in Christ's name and for his glory. Uh, amen.